This is our Fireside Stories, talking junk, telling stories about South Africa. Hey. Hey. Okay, take me back to the beginning. 2019. Rugby World Cup, Sia Kodisi and the team playing, and us and the kids being really stoked on watching all the matches. And obviously, um, I started thinking back to 1995, um, the Springboks winning the World Cup and being, what, like 13? And just how emotional it was and how much nostalgia it brought up watching the 2019 World Cup not in my homeland um, and I wrote a really nostalgic piece about it um, just for my blog and it was republished by sapeople.com which was really cool and it did really well and I just remember one morning sitting and reading through all the comments and being really emotional about how people had responded to my memories um, with their own memories and their own stories about 1995. And some people were talking about how they were children and like the things they remember and other people were a bit older, but it was, it was a really emotional experience. So I just, from that point, started thinking that, started thinking how important stories are to who we are, um, especially when you're not in your own country um, and obviously missing South Africa, but the weird tension of missing my homeland, who has made me who I am, but also not necessarily wanting to go back and live there. Uh, so that kind of started the idea. I've not always written stories about South Africa, so that moment kind of inspired me to write stories about South Africa. However, I am always telling stories about South Africa and about no. <laughs> about my childhood um, and mostly about my brothers because they got up to some crazy stuff, but I guess just about life in South Africa and funny things that happened to the point that when I we can sit tell down... I all the stories. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, and when we sit down for dinner at the table, pretty much every evening, our children are asking me to tell them another story. Um but you've told them so many so many times they even have short code names for them. Yes, uh, they do. The piggy story, the, I don't know, so many. In Uncle fact, they're asking you... you to tell the stories and me not so to well. interrupt you to tell the <laughs> stories. Um, so I thought after telling so many and starting to write them down, probably be really cool to start documenting other people's stories. I feel like I'm on a bit of a mission to try and gather these stories about anything and everything to do with growing up in South Africa. And there's these really kind of historical moments that um, can be captured through storytelling. You describe yourself now as, as an immigrant, but you also come from a line of immigrants, which mm -hmm. I think is interesting. Yeah, I've come a bit of a full circle because my 
dad was born in London and my grandparents were Londoners and they left London just after the war to go to Zambia um, where they were missionaries. And my dad grew up in a little village on a mission station until he was a teenager. And then they ended up moving to South Africa because they didn't want to go back to England. Um, so my dad has really cool, funny stories about life <laughs> on the mission station growing up in a village. Um, and yeah, it's really interesting, I guess, that I've now ended up back in the place where my grandparents left in the 1940s. Mm. What are you hoping that people would get from yeah reading these stories well so when i wrote that springbok story in 2019 it really moved me when people responded with their own memories um and i feel like that's the payoff Mm. that's when people read something i've written just based on my own kind of like experiences that it's uh inspires their own memories um and their own like sense of nostalgia and identity I guess and that's a really precious thing Mm. Um, I wanted the term our Mm. because they're not just my stories about my country they're our stories they're everyone's stories and I'm genuinely interested Mm. um, and really passionate about hearing other people's stories about the place where we come from yeah yeah and I remember I mean this is again perhaps a sidetrack but another really significant moment was do you remember Amelia's school assembly? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just before we played. Was it before the? It was before the final. It was just before we played the final against England. And <laughs> remember, I wore a Springbok jersey mm. <laughs> to assembly. Uh, a Springbok jersey. Just to, to rub it in to, their faces a little English, bit. Yeah, Taking good. Some tips from Russell. Wore my ninety-five. <laughs> yeah, thank you. My ninety-five Springbok jersey to assembly. And they sang World in Union. And I clearly remember, like her class sang it. Do you remember? Yeah. And I remember sitting there. And it was really hard for me to keep it together in the sense that I was, it was a weird thing sitting there, even as I think about it, it makes me really emotional. Mm. Sitting there, listening to our English daughter singing a song that is so South African. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, this is not right. (laughs) It's just, it was a really, Mm. I guess, a displacing feeling. Mm. And I was like, she needs to know that this is, mm. this is an African, I mean, obviously that song is not South African or belongs to South Africa, but because it's so attached to 95. Mm. Do you think people that engage with your stories, people who are mourning the past or mm. what, what do you think? Because you, yeah. you, you read the comments and you engage with people and. What I do think is that when you are in another country and this applies in many contexts but you are other it's easier to connect with people who have a similar context to you you have these groups of people just wanting to connect and do connect because they have a common country they have a common like history um and can share that you know their feelings and experience what it feels like to not be at home um, and be happy with the choices they've made, but also find it difficult um, being in a, being other, being other in this new place, or perhaps mm. not even a new place. Um, mm. But equally, the stories are entertaining. They're just, 
you know. So mm. you don't have to be a South African expat to enjoy our fireside stories. Mm. They're stories about South Africa. So they're mm. just, you know, they're not stories about mm. leaving South Africa. Or maybe some of them will be, but mm. they're just about home, really. Mm. The African oral tale, I know mm-hmm. there's something there's something quite magical about it. A lot of the African principles around Ubuntu, which means like caring for those around you and mm-hmm. community, but also mm-hmm. revering your elders and you know, the elders are full of wisdom and Yes. In a traditional, like old school African sense it would be, you know, gather around a fireside yep. where the elders would tell tales and that was, you know, that was long before the times of T V and those kinds yeah. of things. Want to elaborate on why that's such a powerful thing for you? Well, because it's community, mm. you know, and it's passing down. I think you said this earlier: passing down wisdom and knowledge. So, telling, you know, imparting morals and how to live your life in the uh, through the metaphor of story. Um, but I just love the notion of like sitting around a fire and telling stories. Mm. And I guess we're not literally sitting around a campfire. You know, sometimes we do, but um, the notion of people huddled together mm. and like sharing and conversation. Um, so perhaps we can't do that physically, but metaphorically we can still do that through this storytelling. You know, we can't be together under the African skies mm. <laughs> telling stories, but I can, mm. you know, can be together on the internet. Give us a flavour of a fireside story. And I have Ooh. one particular in mind. Which one? Do I know it well enough? You know it very well because I've heard it's it yeah. ad yeah. nauseum. <laughs> the crabs from Rhodes Park. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, right. Okay. So. This one time. This one time, back in in the 90s, my brothers and I lived in Kensington with my mum. Would it have been the 90s? 100% the 90s. Like 1992 kind of thing. Yes. So you were 10? Yeah, a bit younger even. So if you were 8, it would have been the 80s. I wasn't 8. Anyway, the 90s, man. The 90s are where it's at. The 90s. We lived in this big old house in Kensington. It was built in 1904. Um, and close to this house where we lived was a park called Rhodes Park. And Rhodes Park had this incredible lake. This massive, beautiful lake with big oak trees. And anyone who knows Kensington will know that it's a very treed suburb. Beautiful jacarandas and these oak trees and weeping willows and uh, fir trees. And we used to go to Rhodes Park Really often, we used to have bubblegum ice creams that were bright blue with those little round ball bubblegums in them. And we would always fight over or have arguments over who had the most number of bubblegum balls in their ice cream because that's what you we were like. You had to say bubblegum balls just to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bubblegum balls. Um, so that was Rhodes Park. So we went there really often. And other than a lake, they had kind of a rockery and streams running through the park. And my mom would just park off under a tree and we would just go park off park off under a tree with a book probably fell asleep and was happy for some peace and we the three of us would just and the neighbors would just run around the park for hours um anyway so this one time uh 
we decided that we were going to catch crabs. When I say we, I mean the boys, my brothers. I was brothers. going to say we. No, <laughs> not me. The boys. Um, because they were big, freshwater crabs. And if you kind of look at your hand, they were about the size of your hand. They were massive. So my brothers decided they were, were we going to... Are we talking it's a Beth hand? Are we talking a uh, and, <laughs> hand? In between, <laughs> it's a Beth and Andrea. So my brothers are going to catch these crabs. And my mom was down with this, so she brought buckets... My word, she's crazy. Um, buckets to the park. I don't know what people must have thought. And my brothers got into the lake and the little rockeries and they fished out these crabs. They picked them up. We had nets. Anyway, put them in the buckets. Um, and there were loads of them. At least 15 to 20 crabs. Do you think anyone... I've never watched this before. <laughs> do you think anyone walked past and thought that you were going to take them home and cook them? Oh, I'm sure, Nowadays, for sure. I think there's no ducks left in Rhodes Park because people have eaten them. <laughs> speculation (laughs) so the crabs so we put them in the buckets drove home I'm sure the car was like a little swamp put them in the back garden and we in our back garden it was a two-tier garden and the bottom tier was this um fish pond and it was kind of long and fairly deep and so the plan was to put some of the crabs in the fish pond I think there were a couple in the buckets so we put them in the garden and probably watched them for a while. Who knew crabs were that exciting? Um, and then it was night time, so we left them there. And the plan was to take them back to the park the next day, right? So that we weren't abusing the wildlife. Um, we didn't want to just keep them and so we were going to take them back. However. However, the next morning, we woke up and went outside. And it was a crab massacre there were legs <gasps> yep shells it was disgusting in the night my cat and her kittens had massacred the crabs they'd fished them out the pond they had oh my word these poor things fished them out the buckets some of them had escaped they were just all of them dead um i don't remember if anyone cried, I didn't. <laughs> Probably Christopher did. Um, anyway, an extension to that story. So the crabs died. That was not good. Um, was that. So I said we had this two-tier garden, right? So above the fish the pond. the second half of the story? Okay. Are you telling the second half? No. no, no carry on. <laughs> so above the fish pond was this kind of ledge. And often Christopher would perch on this ledge like... I don't Gollum. even know. Pardon? Like Gollum. Like Gollum, exactly. Perch <laughs> on this ledge, on his haunches. I don't know what he would be doing. He was doing this one day and fell somehow from the top ledge into the fish pond below. And he swears to this day that crabs pinched his butt. He like flew out of that fish pond after he fell because crabs are pinching like his a butt. a cat in a bath. Exactly. It's karma. It's a good story. Mm. So that is one of our favourite family stories that our children ask us to tell over and over again and you know <laughs> as if it were your own story. I do. I feel as, I feel as if it's in, <laughs> it invades my own memories and I can't actually distinguish which memories are mine anymore Yeah. and which have just been, I have, through osmosis... <laughs> absorbed. Absorbed some of my your My life identity. in Kensington. Yeah. Yeah.